Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and this is Exodus chapter 28, Exodus chapter 28, and this is week 88, you may care to know. Exodus chapter 28, Exodus chapter 28, look at verse 1 please. And take thou unto the Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So of course it's a family affair. You've got Aaron, Israel's first high priest. Melchizedek predates him of course. And Melchizedek was high priest to the Gentiles. Abraham was a Gentile when he got saved. Adam was a Gentile when he fell. But we are looking at the children of Israel. And they've got a high priest. And take thou unto the Aaron thy brother. So Moses had a brother. Jesus had two cousins. John the Baptist. John the son of Zebedee. David would have sons, plural, who would work for him and alongside him. This is a family book. This book is about family. The Bible isn't just a religious book. It's a historical book. And his sons with him from among the children of Israel. Israel, Jews, not Gentiles. If you speak to Muslims, they think they have a claim to Abraham's descendants. Of course, they trace their descendants back to Ishmael. But uh, we are interested with Isaac, of course. And take thou unto the Aaron, thy brother and his sons, with him from among the children of Israel. Have to be Jews, of course, not Gentiles. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. A prophet will come from among your own people, in reference to Messiah, of course. That he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Keep your hand there and go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, scripture with scripture. Most of what we are going to be reading over the next few Sundays has almost no application to anybody living today. So Father, we ask you to bless this message. We ask you to bless the next several messages as we work our way through the Old Testament, trying to understand many mysteries. And we ask you to bless this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 1 if you will. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Bishop, overseer, elder. Go back to Exodus 28. And take thou unto thee Aaron, thy brother, and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Physical priest with clothing, interceding, so on so forth. Even Aaron, Nadab, son number one. Abihu, son number two, Eliezer, son number three, and Ithamar, son number four. Aaron's sons, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And of course, Jesus Christ is our glory and beauty. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Old Testament, you wore physical garments if you were a priest, a prophet. And of course a king for today, if you are a saved person, you don't need to dress up, unlike the Church of Rome, where they dress up for their services. Revelation 18, Revelation 18, make that 19, excuse me, Revelation 19, Revelation 19, look at verse 8, if you will. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Marriage of the Lamb, of course, marriage supper of the Lamb. Go to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, James chapter 5, look at verse 2. Your riches are corrupted 
and your garments are moth-eaten. Go back to the book of Exodus. So during the tribulation, people are going to make money, take the mark of the beast to survive. Those that take the mark of the beast to survive will make lots of money. Those that don't take the mark of the beast will make no money. Will will basically uh, starve and die. But for those that take the mark of the beast, they make good money. And that's why James chapter 5 speaks about garments, clothing, so on and so forth. In a sort of a way, alluding to the church of Rome. And they make lots of money. And James says, you are destroyed. You are moth-eaten. And the entire chapter deals with those that make money in the tribulation. Through ill gain, basically. 28.2 again. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. So Aaron is Israel's first high priest. Like I say, he was chosen from among his people. He was a brother of Moses. And of course they had a sister called Miriam. And these three worked very closely together. But the Lord wanted Aaron to dress a particular way to operate in a particular way for the day. Papists like to dress up for their services. Some Protestants do, but most non-denominational Christians like myself just dress like everybody else. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't dress up. The apostles did not dress up. But here, holy garments, verse 2. When we speak about holiness, we need to define it. We aren't holy in and of ourselves. Uh, Isaiah says we are filthy rags. And on one occasion, the Lord would say to a wealthy person, why do you call me good? Nobody is good but one, that is God. So God makes you holy. He gives you imputation. And here you have holy garments connected with Aaron, because Aaron is the high priest, of course. Look at verse 3. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Priest's office. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. At best, we could say this, that Christians, godly men, or elders, teachers, preachers, are priests in a spiritual sense. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we just looked at, read it again. This is a true saying. This is a good saying. If a man, not a woman, if a man desire the office of a bishop, has the authority to be a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist. And yes, bishop has been hijacked by the Church of Rome and the Church of England. The highest rank you can become in the Church of Rome is a Pope. Underneath that will be a Cardinal, then it's an Archbishop. Jesus Christ is called the Bishop of our souls, the Bishop of our salvation. These men have elevated themselves above the Saviour. In the Church of England, the highest rank is an Archbishop, of course. A Bishop, verse 2, there must be blameless, the husband of one wife. That's not compulsory, incidentally. Yes, Aaron was married with children, but as far as we know, the Apostle Paul wasn't married. As far as we know, the Apostle John wasn't married. And I've got a theory that the Apostle uh, Peter was a widower. And that's why you read about his mother-in-law in certain parts of the Gospels. She was looking after the children, you see. I can't prove it, but it's just my own private hypothesis. Vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine. Watch what you consume. If you think of the Church of Rome, every Sunday around this time, they will be drinking wine. During the communion service. And yet here you're told not to be given to wine. No striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Go back to Exodus 28. 3 again. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted. Job was a wise man. Daniel was a wise man. Noah was a wise man. And over in Ezekiel it says, had those men lived during the time of the apostasy in Israel, even if those men had lived 
during the time of apostasy in Israel, I still wouldn't spare the children of Israel due to their wickedness. Wise-hearted whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Go to Luke 21, please. Luke 21. So, Old Testament, a physical priesthood. New Testament, a spiritual priesthood. Old Testament, physical animals were sacrificed on behalf of the people. New Testament, we sacrifice our bodies. Not on behalf of the people, but on behalf of ourselves. We can intercede for those that are saved. And we do that at this ministry every day. People ask us for prayer. People ask us for this. They ask us for that. And we do our best to assist such people. We're not physical priests. We are spiritual priests. Anyone who is born again, male or female, is a spiritual priest. Luke 21. Luke 21. Look at verse 15. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries should not be able to gainsay nor resist. Go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, if you are a preacher, a teacher, it's your job to explain the scriptures to people. All scripture is inspired of God. And it's your job to explain the differences between the Old Testaments and the New. If you've been saved for a period of time, you know that most of the Old Testaments, like probably 85%, has no reference to you. I mean whatsoever. So you have to spiritualize it. Otherwise it becomes a closed book. It becomes an obsolete part of the word of God. Acts uh, chapter 6. Look at verse 8 if you will. And Stephen. Full of faith and power. Did great wonders and miracles. Among the people. This guy is called a deacon. In your King James Bible. But he wasn't a deacon. This guy could do miracles. No deacon in First Timothy chapter 3. Could do any miracles. The apostles were a unique, a unique group of people. Those that came after the apostles were also a unique group of people. Look at verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Look at verse 10. And they were not able to resist the spirit's wisdom by which he spake. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit's by which he spake. Go back to the book of Exodus. So Aaron has to be a standout man. He's not holy in of himself. But because he's a high priest. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be a standout person. Jesus Christ of course was God a man. Has two parts to him. We have two parts. We are sons of God. We are sons of Adam. Sons of God through adoption. Sons of Adam through the first birth. Jesus Christ is the son of man. Through his mother of course. Son of God through his father of course. Go back to verse 1. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office in a physical sense. Contrast that to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We, those of us which are brothers, those of us which have teaching ministries, we do so in a spiritual sense. Even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. Marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride of the Lamb, are wearing holy garments to be married to the Lord. In a spiritual sense, you understand, but here it's a physical sense. Three again, in fact, two again. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. Glory and beauty, Jesus Christ is our glory and beauty, like I say. Verse three again. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, 
that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. First Timothy chapter 3 goes some way in cross-referencing this. And one of the reasons why Jews, for the most part, Orthodox Jews, religious Jews, reject Jesus is because when they read the Old Testament, they get a very clear picture as to how their religion should be. And if they ever read the New Testament, and sometimes they do at seminary to debunk it, I'm sad to say, to reject it, I am sad to say, they can't see the cross-references. They can't harmonize it. And the reason for that is because the, 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 uh, the Lord doesn't want you to harmonize it. He has cancelled out the Old Testament. That's what Jeremiah is all about. The Jews didn't keep the Old Testament. Failed time after time. And because they failed time after time, Almighty God just shut down the Old Testament and initiated the New. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation uh, chapter 16. I was watching a video a few days ago. An ex-King James Bible believer. A friend of the ministry. He's now crossed the streets. He's no longer a King James Bible believer. He's into the new Bibles and he put up a video, only a short video, and I left a comment saying, what's your final authority now? If it's not the King James, what is your final authority? And he didn't respond, of course, but one of his friends did and said to me, well, there's many final authorities. And this person listed maybe nine or ten uh, English translations, including the King James. And I said, yes, but which of those ten translations is your final authority? Mm. Couldn't answer me. And I said this, they could all be wrong. But they cannot all be right, because the, law, the, the laws of logic are transcultural. All those translations can be wrong, but they can't all be right. And I've got many translations on my bookshelf. And yet when I read those translations, and I check them and I do on a regular basis, they don't match. The New King James doesn't match the King James, the original King James. The ESV doesn't match the NIV. The New King James doesn't match the NASV. What's your final authority? You know what their final authority is? Themselves, of course. Revelation 16, Revelation 16, look at verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. Garments. Picturing one's own righteousness, one's own state, not standing. Once you get saved, you receive imputation. The Lord makes you holy, righteous, saved. Contrast that to the Church of Rome. They call that infused righteousness. That starts when you are baptized, christened. Receive your first communion. And it's down to you to stay holy. It's down to you to stay saved, if you will. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments concerning your states, of course. But here, you're back in the tribulation. The church is gone. This is for tribulation saints. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Go back to the book of Exodus. So the worst case scenario for a Christian in any generation is to lose his or her rewards, crowns, and arrive naked. And the judgment seat of Christ. Saved like Lot. Saved like Abraham. Saved like Solomon. But nothing to show for their lives of course. 28.4 And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broided coat. A mitre and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons. That he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Ephod. Like a fleece. Priests, prophets and kings would wear an ephod. A robe. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. There was a movie made some years ago called The Robe. Back in the 1950s. Not a bad movie but a lot of it is incorrect of course. That's the problem with Hollywood. They like to use what's called artistic license. Uh, Matthew 27. 
And I've seen all of the Christian movies, biblical movies, and uh, I think 98% of what I've seen is incorrect. Yes, there are snippets of the truth, but you can't take liberties with the word of God. And if you do, you are in hot water. Matthew 27, Matthew 27, look at verse 28. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. One of the colors of the tabernacle, a scarlet robe. Keep your hand there and go to John chapter 19, a scarlet robe. On the one hand, picturing royalty. On the other hand, picturing suffering. The suffering savior, Jesus Christ, is called the son of Joseph because he came to suffer and die for our sins. He's called the son of David because he came to initiate the thousand year reign. The Jews would reject him the first uh, first time around. And as a result of that, the Gentiles are grafted in and we are the people of God for now. John 19, John 19, look at verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, scarlet purple. Very little difference. But a robe is connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 6. So the high priest would wear an ephod, like a fleece, as I say, a robe. And the Lord Jesus Christ was put, or was, uh, was clothed with a robe against his own will. He never wore a robe a day in his life. It would fall to Gentiles to mock him. A bit like Joseph back in the Old Testament. His multicoloured coat. And uh, his brothers sold him out to the Gentiles. And the Lord's brothers sold him out to the Gentiles. Being uh, Pilate and Herod of course. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 11 please. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Tribulation saints, when they die, are going to be clothed with robes. And here, white robes, picturing martyrdom. Go back to the book of Exodus. For again, and these are the garments, plural, which they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, and a broided coat, a reinforced coat, a mitre, a mitre. If you think of papists, like I say, or Protestants, they wear a hat. They wear a fish hat, going back to Dagon, Dagon. the fish god. But of course, for the high priest, his mitre was a wrap around a turban, not a cone hat, as we refer to such. And a girdle, a girdle. Keep your hand there and go to Acts 21, a girdle. A girdle is a belt, a girdle is a buckle which goes around the waist. Acts 21, scripture with scripture. So I asked a question to this ex-King James Bible believer. What's your final authority? He hasn't got back to me, of course. And his friend jumped to his defense and said, well, there's many good translations, like I say. And yet, out of those nine or ten translations, not one could be held up as being perfect and fallible. It's only King James people like myself and others that say this is the perfect, preserved word of God. Acts 21, Acts 21, look at verse 11 carefully. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. This is the only time in the New Testament for memory where the term, Thus saith the Holy Ghost is found. That expression, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, is an Old Testament expression. Basically telling you that Jehovah is speaking. 
Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Paul is connected with a girdle, the high priest in the Old Testament. is also connected with a girdle. One more time. And when he was come unto us, this is Agabus of course, he took Paul's girdle. He's going to show Paul what is going to come. He's a prophet, you see. That's Agabus, of course. Bound him by his own hands and bound his own hands and feet. A bit like the Lord Jesus Christ. They pierced my hands and my feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Go back to the book of Exodus. You've got a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a broidered coat, a mitre, a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. The Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest. We are called sons of God. Jesus Christ is God. And here you have a physical priesthood, like I say, producing physical descendants. You have the breastplate, which will be the main parts of the Lord's or the high priest's uh, covering. It will be the first thing you probably see. Keep your hand there and go to Ephesians chapter 6 another reason why the jews reject jesus and the new testament is because when he came the first time he didn't bring the kingdom and yet he did offer it he offered it twice he offered it more than twice i should say but it was offered many times in all four gospels especially matthew mark and luke the synoptic gospels repent kingdom of god is at hand repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand and they turn him down on both occasions ephesians Chapter 6, look at verse uh, 10, if you will. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you are a Christian, and if you are struggling, this is one of the reasons why you are struggling. It's not necessarily down to your sin, or your weakness, or your failure. That's what Job's friends thought when he was sick and struggling, and they thought he was a wicked reprobate, a backslider. He wasn't. He was one of the best men in the Old Testament, but they didn't know that. And their first impression was that he was a bad man, full of sin and apostasy. He wasn't. He was a good man. But the Lord was working him over. The Lord was using the devil to work him over. Like from verse 12. 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God. It could be like an ephod. Like a robe. Like a broidered coat. Like a mitre. Like a girdle. You understand? That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Verse 14. Having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplates of righteousness. In a spiritual sense. But for Aaron in a physical sense. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Go back to the book of Exodus. So Paul picks up this imagery from Exodus 28. And like I say, this is week 88. We are probably 19 months, if not 20 months, into one of the most in-depth studies I've ever done. And it's Paul's uh, responsibility to explain the Christian standing in Christ and try and harmonise that with the Old Testament. 
greats like Aaron, like Moses. We see Moses, we see Messiah. We see Aaron and we have a problem. How do we cross-reference Aaron? At best, Aaron is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is our high priest. That's what Hebrews is all about. But for the Old Testament, priests were married. You may have a few exceptions, but for the most part, priests were married, had physical descendants. Jesus Christ was a priest, but he wasn't married. He had no children. We are his spiritual children. Got to be careful when you try and harmonize this. And these are the garments, verse 4, which they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, and a robe, and a broided coat, a mitre, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, and his sons. His sons are going to be expected to wear holy garments. That he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Physical priesthood, like I say, for today we are approaching this in a spiritual sense. Look at verse 5. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Gold, picturing deity. Blue, picturing heaven, of course. Purple, could be priestly. Scarlet could also picture partly suffering, going back to the Lord's robe. It was forced upon him. And fine linen. Sometimes fine linen gets overlooked. But fine linen, if you go to Ephesians, is also picked up by the Apostle Paul. What a genius Paul was. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, let's see if I can find the verse. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Yeah, look at verse 13. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So prayer is connected with uh, the sixth parts of the high priest's clothing. Go back to 28. Yeah, the fine linen from 28.5 pictures the waist, knee area. And for Aaron, he had to wear particular clothing, like I say, to be distinguished from his peers. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't wear specific clothing. The apostles, John the Baptist, would be the exception, of course. He wore odd clothing, shall we say. Most churches wouldn't want John in their pews. But from 28.5, gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen, picturing linen breeches, which I'll discuss a little later on. But Ephesians 3 14 is a good cross-reference for this cause. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in, in, and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go back to Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Look at verse 6. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, and scarlet, and fine twinned linen, with cunning work, special work, an expert, like a tailor. It should have two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so should it be joined together. We would say like a padded shoulder. If you think of the Hollywood stars from the 1940s, the sirens, as they were called, beautiful women, would wear uh, special clothing. They would have padded shoulders. That went out uh, in the 1980s. I remember some music videos from the 1980s. 
uh, mainly American artists wearing padded shoulders. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. But the high priest, like I say, was told to dress a particular way. If you didn't hear him coming uh, concerning the holy bells, the gold bells, which we'll look at next week, you could see him coming. When he would approach you, you saw him coming. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 6, please. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He carries the weight of the world, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgments and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Go back to Exodus 28. That deals first and foremost with the millennial reign. Then it goes into the eternal state. He comes the first time, like I say, he has both kingdoms available. He that will receive it, let him receive it. They turn him down. He turns to the Gentiles and those that receive him are saved and those that don't are lost. 28.7 again. It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof. In type, we could say it's a picture of the Gentiles and the Jews. John 8, make that John 10. The Lord says he has Jews that are part of his fold. Obviously, he has Gentiles, which will one day be part, be a part of his fold. And one day, he will have just one fold. So the high priest has got a double padded shoulder piece, if you will, denoting that one day the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, will have Jews in his fold, Gentiles in his fold. And so shall it be joined together. He that is joined unto the Lord is, or he that is joined unto the Lord is joined by one spirit. For by one spirit are we all baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the curious girdle, verse 8, and the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twinned linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones, Engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. Six and a six gives you 66. There are 66 books in the King James Bible. Of course, this is our final authority. An onyx stone is dark blue, light black. But I'm interested in the term stone. Six of their names, verse 10, on one stone like the twelve tribes of Israel, and the other six names on the rest of the rest, on the other stone according to their birth. Keep your hand there, and go to Mark chapter 4. This will be a very deep study, and this will run probably three to five weeks uh, to really understand, or to attempt to understand what Moses is telling us about. Uh, make that Matthew, excuse me, Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 4, Matthew, no, make that, excuse me, Matthew 4, Matthew 4, make that verse 6. And he saith unto him, this is the devil speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saith unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. A stone. Go to First Peter chapter 2. Stones, a stone. The church is built on the rock of all ages, of course. Prophets, Old Testaments, 
apostles, New Testament, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And we are built on those three parts. Prophets, like I say, apostles, and the apostle of apostles, the prophet of prophets, Lord of lords, God of gods, King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, picturing the Trinity, of course. Uh, First Peter, get that in a minute, uh, First Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2, look at verse, uh, verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, thrown out, rejected. We shan't, have this, we shan't have this man to reign over us, but chosen of God, ordained of God. And precious, you better believe it. Precious, sacred, holy. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. One more, go to Revelation chapter 2. And I will close Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Picture of the Old Testament, physical manna. Again, take your time if you are a preacher to harmonize the old with the new. I guarantee you, you will get a great blessing. And you may win many Jews to the Lord Jesus Christ. To him that overcometh, to him that appropriates the atonement, to him, to him that is born again, to him that overcometh will I give to eat to the hidden manner, and will give him a white stone. One of the most strangest parts of the Old Testament, going into the New Testament, a white stone. Going back to parts of the high priest's apparel, give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. You've got a white stone. If you get saved... For here and now, you get a new name as well. But here, you get a white stone. Look at it again. To him that overcometh, verse 17, will I, Jesus, give to eat, to eat of the hidden manna. Physical food. When Christ came up out of the tomb, he was able to enjoy physical food. He would eat with his apostles. Go back to the Old Testament. Angels could also eat physical food. If you think of when they came to destroy. It could be uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It could be when they came to visit first and foremost Abraham. And later Lot. And elsewhere in the Old Testament angels could eat. And in glory we too can eat. We can eat as much as we like and never put on weight. And we'll give him a white stone. A white stone. Picturing approval. Picturing a reward. And yet this is one of the most Difficult parts of Revelation to really understand. And I went through Revelation some years ago. And even then I wasn't overly sure what to do with this particular verse. I looked at some of the commentaries. And you know what? They don't know what this means either. But it's a white stone. It's pictured some way. Or it goes somewhere. It goes some way in helping us to understand the high priest back in the Old Testament. Give him a white stone. And in a stone. Inside of the stone. A new name written. A new name written. Which no man knoweth. Saving except he that receiveth it. In other words, once you get saved, you belong to him. He belongs to you. And you are now identified personally with Almighty God. This is a mystery, a great mystery. And this goes uh, some way, I think, in helping us to understand what Aaron was tasked to do. And how we are seen in the eyes of the Lord. We are a spiritual priesthood. Like I say, not a, phys- not a physical priesthood, but a spiritual priesthood. And a stone 
is connected with our salvation, going back to Revelation 2.17, 1 Peter 2.4-5, Matthew 4 and 6. Even the devil has some understanding of this stone. But ultimately, going back to Exodus 28, the high priest has 12 stones, 12 stones, and these 12 stones contain, contain the names. Again, names on one stone and names on the other stone according to their birth. I'll discuss that more next week. Exodus chapter 28, please. Exodus chapter 28, this is week 89. And look at verses 1 and 2 again, please. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. Our first parents were naked in the garden, were very happy, very content, very innocent until they fell. And once they fell, Almighty God would have to kill an animal, no doubt a lamb, cover our first parents, and we call that imputation. And from that moment on, they were holy, if you will. Contrast that to Roman Catholicism, which teaches one has to receive grace through infusation. God gives it to you, he infuses it to you, and you have to stay in a state of grace. And if you don't stay in a state of grace, you lose your salvation if you are a Protestant and go to hell forever. If you don't stay in a state of grace as a Roman Catholic, you go to purgatory. And you are purged for, could be hundreds, it could be thousands of years. Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63, look at verse 1 if you will. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Boaz? This that is glorious in his apparel, travelling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. You've got two people there, first and foremost. The first part of verse 1, Isaiah is perhaps speaking. But by the end of verse 1, Messiah is speaking. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Look at verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Who is speaking? Go to Revelation chapter 19. So when we speak about garments in the Old Testament, if it's Aaron and Co, they receive priestly garments. If it's uh, Adam and Eve, they receive a covering from an animal, like I say, to first and foremost give them the ability to have some kind of a relationship with the Lord. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, you receive Christ's imputed righteousness. If you are a Catholic or the vast majority of Protestantism, you receive what's called infusation. Like I say, it's infused to you. It's basically down to you to stay saved. That's not Bible, of course. But from Isaiah 63, you've got a, a, a prophecy of the Messiah at the second advent. Garments, apparel... Revelation uh, picks up on this. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. Isaiah 63 verse 1. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Aaron will have at least one crown, but here Messiah has many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself, like need to know. But look at verse 13. And he was clothed with a vessel dipped in blood. 
And his name is called the word of God. Go back to Exodus 28. One again. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. That he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Last week we spoke about Protestant pastors. The term pastor incidentally isn't a description. It's, a descri- it's more of a description than a title I should say. It's more of a description than a title. Many, many people say have you met pastor such and such. You don't call people pastor such and such. It's a description. It's not a title. But pastors in the New Testament don't dress up. They dress like everybody else. Jesus Christ did not dress up. The apostles did not dress up. People that dress up are found over in uh, Matthew 23 and uh, elsewhere. And they dress up to be seen. That's Phariseeism, of course. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithma, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. Because he's going to serve a holy God. And because God is holy for the Old Testament, he would expect his people to dress a particular way to denote his holiness. For today we aren't holy in and of ourselves, Isaiah 64 verse 6. So we are made holy. We are declared holy. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. So keep that in mind, Aaron was the high priest, would dress a particular way. During the thousand year reign, the high priest will reappear. We're not sure overly who it will be. Uh, David is obviously one of the candidates for the prince found over in uh, Ezekiel and elsewhere. But of course, Jesus Christ for here and now is our high priest. Look at verse 11 again. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, thou shalt engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches, pouches of gold, stone. The church is built upon the stone of all stones, the rock of all ages. Old Testament, its prophets, New Testament, its apostles. Ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says they follow that rock. And that rock was Christ, of course. Look at verse 12. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial, of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Memorial. It's found twice in this verse. Go to Acts chapter 10. If you are a prayer warrior, if you have a good prayer life, uh, praise the Lord for that. One of my weaknesses is that I don't pray enough. I love to Preach, teach, I love to read the word of God. Uh, And yes, of course, I do intercede for people, but I don't pray enough. And some people say this, I don't pray for myself. I'm always praying for other people. Don't be pious. The apostles pray for themselves. The Old Testament prophets pray for themselves. You should pray for yourself. The world, the flesh and the devil are all over you like a rash. You should be praying every day for yourself. And others, of course, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. Look at verse four concerning Cornelius, of course. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. Concerning Cornelius' faithful prayer. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Somebody once said, Pray until you pray. You may spend years praying and see little results. Little results, that's okay. Just keep praying. On one occasion, Christ would pray all night uh, when he was deciding which of the apostles to choose him. And if he was able to pray all night, we should pray a lot more. And like I say, that's one of my weaknesses. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 23. For I have received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance 
of me. It's the same sort of a thing. Remembrance in memorial of me. Go back to Exodus, please. Look at verse 10 again. Six of their names on one stone, and the other six names on the rest of the other stone, according to their birth. So, like I said last week, you've got the Jews and the Gentiles in mind. Go to Genesis 43. And for most of the Old Testaments, in fact, if not all of the Old Testaments, and most of the four Gospels, Jesus, as a Jew, is dealing with the Jews. And one of the reasons why the Jews didn't always like what he said was because he showed a great love for the Gentiles. And Gentiles are thought of as being unclean. Genesis 43, keep the word birth in your mind. Genesis 43, Genesis 43, look at verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. Joseph, of course, and his brothers go back to Exodus 28. So Joseph is a type of Christ, obviously. Joseph is a type of Jesus. Moses is a type of Messiah. And the role of the high priest was to represent Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Most of what we are looking at today and over the next probably 12 weeks have almost no reference to the New Testament. So as and when I'm able to, I will cross-reference as best as I can to really drill in uh, and get as much material as we can to make this as applicable as we can. But you've got two stones, verse 9. And on one side of the stone, or on one stone, you've got six names. And on the other stone, another six. Six, six books in your uh, King James Bible, of course. Look at verse 13, 28, 13. And thou shalt make ouches, pouches of gold, and two chains of pure gold at the ends. Of wreathen work shalt thou make them, and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. Verse uh, 3 speaks about this. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that God would give gifts to different people. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 further elaborates on the gifts from God. We're not all called to do the same thing. Like I say, my weakness is probably lack of prayer. Uh, I can preach, I can teach, I can evangelize. I'm okay at that. I will allow others to judge me as to how good I am at that. Uh, but when it comes to praying, when it comes to on my knees, 15, 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes a day, I'm a failure. I start my day in prayer and I finish my day in prayer, but I don't always pray as much as I ought to. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, verse 3, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Look at verse 15. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work, after the work of the ephod thou shalt make it, of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twinned linen. Shalt thou make it. Judgment. Go to Acts chapter 13. Old Testament, you've got a priest system. New Testament, you have a spiritual priest system. Old Testament, you have a physical high priest. New Testament, you have a spiritual high priest. Old Testament, the high priest was on the earth. New Testament, the high priest is in heaven, interceding for all of us. Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Judgment is a good thing. You were told to judge those that call themselves apostles. Uh, Revelation. Chapter 2, you were told to use righteous judgment. John 
chapter 7, people don't like to be judged. Uh, even saved people don't like to be judged. People get very defensive if you judge them, and they, and they get defensive because they are carnal, fleshly. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, like chastened at the judgment seats. But when we are judged, 32, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Don't go to hell forever, of course. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that he come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Go back to Exodus 28. So judgment is found clearly in uh, Exodus 28, of course. Look at verse 16. 28, 16. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. Go to Revelation. Uh, Revelation 21. A span, basically, is a stretched out hand. You basically strain or stretch, extend your hand uh, from the end of the thumb to the end of the little finger. And that should give you around nine inches. Revelation uh, 21. I was reading this a few nights ago, and I thought this is very interesting. Look at 16. And the city, New Jerusalem, lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth width. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth, and the height of it are equal. New Jerusalem is a mirror, a duplication, a replica of the tabernacle. Look at verse 13. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. You can't miss it, can you? The priest would enter through the east, and the more I read the Bible, the more I am fascinated. So the priest, like I say, would enter from the east. The showbread was on the north. The candlestick was on the south. And the altar of incense was on the west. You got uh, east, north, south, and west. So whoever put this book together knew what they were doing. If you get your hands on a book, let's say it's a 200-page book, and you start to read it, and after 100 pages you are really getting into the plot and you discover all of a sudden that the remaining hundred pages have been removed you're, you're you are snookered as we say you are stuck you don't know how the book ends or you get your hands on a dvd could be a two a dvd set and i've got a few and you start to watch a good old movie it could be four hours long and some of the great movies are around four hours long like ben-hur and uh, gone with the wind for example and other great films dr Zhivago, and you Go out, you, you, uh, you, look, you, you, uh, you look for the second disc. It's missing. You have no idea how the movie ends. That's how the Bible is laid out. Old Testament, part one. New Testament, part two. Go back to Exodus 28, 16. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth, the width thereof. So for the Old Testament, like I say, you've got the high priest wearing particular clothing. When Christ came the first time, he dressed like everybody else uh, at the second advent, Isaiah 63, Revelation 19. His clothing is dipped in blood. He's come to destroy people. If you want to know more about that, study the Great Flood. Study, uh, study uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. He's called the man of war. Uh, most Christians don't like the idea of their saviour coming to kill, but he will come to kill. In Revelation it says how he puts into men's hearts to do his will. 28.17 and thou shalt set in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. Precious diamonds, precious, 
priceless material. Uh, there was a story in the, in the papers this week of a five million pound toilet that was stolen from, uh, was it Blen- Blenheim Park? Blenheim Park, yeah. Where Churchill uh, once lived. Yeah. Somebody decided to steal a five million pound toilet. It's been, dis- it's been uh, recovered, of course, and it will be reinstalled. But it shows you that gold is still uh, worth stealing. Uh, gold, like I say, can uh, help prop up a currency. Mm. But you've got four uh, types of stones. Look at verse 18. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. I must admit, I know nothing about stones. Uh, it could be diamonds, sapphires, or emeralds. I have no interest in stones. Solomon was the wealthiest man on the face on the face of the whole earth. He enjoyed himself, he lived a pretty decent life, but he died prematurely. And right at the end of his life, after experiencing women, money and might, uh, he would say this, let, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes 12:13. fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. It's almost a mirror of what the Apostle Paul would say concerning the judgment seat of Christ. 28.19 And a third row, a liger, an agate, and an amethyst. And a fourth row, a beryl, or burial, and an onyx, a jasper, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Everyone with his name shall they be according to the 12 tribes. So back to stones again. And as I say, stones are still uh, precious, valuable. If you go into a good quality jewellers, you'll see that stones are very expensive. Go to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. But I've got no interest in stones, I must admit. Uh, Solomon had everything. Died prematurely, and before he died, he made those famous statement. That famous statement: "Fear God, keep the commandments, so on and so forth." Ezekiel twenty-eight. Ezekiel twenty-eight. Look at verse thirteen. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. This is the devil, by the way. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl or burial, the onyx, and the jasper. It's almost identical to the high priest. The sapphire, the emerald. And the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes, was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. One of the most strangest parts in the Old Testament, describing the devil as a music box of some kind. Go back to Exodus 28. In fact, go to uh, uh, Revelation 21. Revelation 21. He fell. It could be down to pride. It could be down to Adam and Eve. For a period of time, Adam and Eve were faultless. Made perfect, upright, very childlike, incidentally. Thought nothing of walking around in the garden with no clothes. Today, if you see somebody walking around with no clothes, you have a double look, a double take. It looks strange. If it's not summertime and somebody's walking down the street without a shirt on, it looks strange. If somebody's walking down the street with just underwear on, it looks even more bizarre. There was a heat wave uh, a few months ago, and there were pictures of people in London on the underground traveling around, and one guy was photographed just wearing underpants and a backpack. It looks strange. It is strange. Now, if you're not clothed, it is strange. Revelation 21, Revelation uh, 21, look at verse 19. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with 
All manner of precious stones, New Jerusalem once again. Go back to Exodus, and my apologies for mispronouncing some of those terms. Uh, but as I say, I'm not an expert or particularly interested in stones. Exodus 28, Exodus 28, uh, look at verse 22. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of the wreathing work of pure gold. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And thou shalt put the two wreathing chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. Breastplate over your chest area, obviously, denoting one's heart. From verse 29, obviously. And the other two ends of the two wreathing chains thou shalt fasten in the two ouches, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. Ephod, we did that last week. And you've got five or six parts to the high priest's clothing. An ephod is basically like a fleece, uh, like a sleeveless jacket. Priests, prophets and kings would wear ephods. The Freemasons like to counterfeit it, of course. Uh, but for here and now, Christian leaders don't bother dressing up. We don't dress up like it's Halloween. We uh, dress like everyone else for the most part. But we don't behave like everyone else. We obviously different of course 28 27 and two other rings of gold thou shalt make and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart thereof over against the other coupling thereof above the curious girdle of the ephod so you got many aspects like i say to the high priest's clothing uh, the girdle was basically a belt a buckle and i showed you last week from the book of acts how agabus made the prophecy uh, concerning what would happen to Paul once he made it up to Jerusalem. And of course, you know the story very well. He was told not to go up, and he went up anyway. Mm. He had free will. Our Calvinist friends don't like that. In fact, when I think about priests today dressing up, it looks a bit funny, doesn't it? I can think of two Protestants. One's a charismatic, one's a Calvinist, and they both like to wear dog collars. Mm. It looks funny, it looks silly. I was a Catholic. I've seen priests all of my life, and I've observed dog collars all of my life. And uh, it's not much you can do about it, really. The state church like to dress up. But when you see those from free churches, non-denominational churches wearing dog collars, it looks strange. Yeah. It looks a bit bizarre. 28, 28. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue. Blue, uh, blue picture in heaven, of course. That it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. Go to Mark chapter 10. Hearts, our hearts are desperately wicked. And that's why we receive Christ's imputed righteousness, which is despised, neglected by most of Christendom. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 18, if you will. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. What a statement to make. Nobody is good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Did he really? Or was he just saying that? All these have I observed from my youth, really? 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, loved him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, 
and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved. Why? For he had great possessions. Go to Romans chapter 6. If you speak to Calvinists, they don't like that particular verse, because they don't believe that Christ loves the non-elect. They believe he hates the non-elect, and he only loves the elect. And here, you just read about the Messiah meeting an unsaved man who couldn't give up his love of money, because money is the root of all evil. And it says how the Lord loved him. Loved him. And yet Calvinists, not all, but honest Calvinists, uh, consistent Calvinists, have a real time of that passage. How to understand it, what to do with it. It says how he loved the whole world, and uh, died for the whole world, so on and so forth. Romans chapter 6. Romans uh, chapter 6. Look at verse... 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that former doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That's one of the reasons why we are called Bible-believing Christians. Because we believe from the heart that former doctrine which was delivered you. Go back to the book of Exodus. From the heart. So what about the heart? Love the Lord thy God. With all thy mind, soul, strength and might. Love the Lord. Honour the Lord. Love thy neighbour as thyself. It's pretty tough. You think it's not tough? You try it sometime. You try and put the Lord at the, at the centre of everything. It's practically impossible. If not impossible. And yet you've got to keep on pushing on. 28, 29 again. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel. Not the church. Children of Israel in the breastplate. In the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. His heart, when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. This was an ongoing parts of the high priest's office. Now again, for today, we have no priest system per se. Pastors, yes. Teachers, deacons, elders, yes. Paul mentions that, especially in, in uh, Ephesians 4 and uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. But it's vastly different. Deacons don't intercede in a physical way on behalf of the people. Pastors don't intercede in a physical way on behalf of the people. We don't sacrifice animals any longer. But in the Old Testament, the high priest would do just that. And only the high priest, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Hebrews says Christ went into the Holy of Holies just once and took care of our sins. 28.30 And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart. When he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. Urim or Urim, it can be pronounced differently, Thummin or Thummin. These are two Hebrew uh, descriptions, two Hebrew words, basically meaning lights and perfections. Only found in the Old Testament. And I think from memory, the term Urim and Thummin or Thummin is only found seven times in the Old Testament. Go to 1 Samuel. In fact, go to Numbers first of all. Uh, numbers 27. When you speak about something mysterious, this is very mysterious. A lot of the commentaries that I've been looking at are clueless to really understand where this thing came from. It wasn't made. Uh, it just seems to have appeared. Numbers 27. Numbers 27. Uh, numbers 27. Look at verse uh, 21. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel, who shall ask counsel, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. You're seeking counsel from the Lord via this 
Urim, like I say, are referred to as lights and perfections. It lights up. Hard to really understand this. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in. Both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. One more time. And he shall stand before Eliezer of the priest, high priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgments of the Urim before the Lord. To connect to the Lord, you had to go through the Urim and Thummim. Only found, like I say, in the Old Testament, never once in the New. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in. Via the high priest, of course, but it comes to this supernatural aspects of the high priest's office. Nothing much in the New Testament to go to to cross-reference it, so we are very much in the dark. At his word come in, both he and all that, uh, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Give you one more, go to First Samuel 28. First Samuel 28, David uh, would use the Urim and Thummim on a handful of occasions. It was a way to connect with heaven. One of my reference Bibles calls it biblical divination. I don't like that term. Uh, divination, that's rather negative. Mm. Biblical divination seems to give it legitimacy. I don't care for that. First Samuel 28, 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Three ways for the Lord to connect with people. Go back to Exodus. And when I say people, I mean priests, prophets and kings, not ordinary people. One of the great blessings of the Reformation was the rediscovery of the universal priesthood of the believer. Universal priesthood of the believer. Still kicked against, still uh, scoffed and scorned. You have to remember that there's a lot of snobbery in Christendom. If you are Greek, uh, Greek Orthodox... Russian Orthodox, they have a two-tier priest system. And both of the priest systems in the Greek and Russian Orthodox system pretty much look down the noses at the common people. That's why John speaks about the uh, Laodicean era, but also the Nicolaitans. And he says how the Lord hates it, because it basically puts people into two camps. 28.30 again, and I'll close. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim, and a thumbin, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart. The heart is beating, not just physically, but spiritually. A lot of pressure on Aaron to intercede for four or five, six or seven million Jews coming to him on a regular basis once a year. Like I say, he would go into the Holy of Holies, put physical blood on the mercy seats, intercede for the people of Israel. When he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgments of the children of Israel. Judgment going back to if we judge ourselves, we won't be condemned with the world. If we confess our sins, we remain in fellowship with the Lord. Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel. Messiah carried the sins of the world. Isaiah chapter 9 speaks about the world on his shoulders. He has the whole world in his hand, you understand. Upon his heart, before the Lord, continually. It's an ongoing ministry, if you will. And of course, with the death of Aaron, Eliezer would replace him. Phineas would replace him. And in the book of Psalms, it says how uh, Phineas would receive the Lord's imputed righteousness. A sacred subject, which is sadly neglected. But going back to our main theme this morning, concerning garments, 28.1, 28.2, 28.3, physical garments. So the high priest would be distinguished from the people. Today we receive a spiritual apparel, a spiritual garment, if you will, imputation. One of the greatest references to understand that would be Matthew 22. 
when the high priest is having, or not the high priest, where the king is having a banquet, and a guy arrives and he's not wearing he's not wearing the right clothing. He's wearing the wrong clothing, picturing his own filthy righteousness. And the Lord, in the person of the king, says, bind him hand and foot, kick him out, picturing someone's audacity to arrive in the presence of the Lord. We've got much more material to look at, and I'm going to suggest we've got probably two more Sundays to work through this one chapter alone and try and put all these verses together. But we'll close it there, and we will return next week and go a little deeper into a mysterious parts of the Old Testament. Just a quick PS on the subject of the Urim and Thummim. One verse just comes to mind very quickly uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And like I say, Saul would inquire of the Lord and was not uh, given any light. David would inquire of the Lord and was given light. Two different kings with two different ministries. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is the only verse that comes to my mind that gives us some idea of the mystical uh, part of the Urim and Thummim. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse uh, 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? It's almost a rhetorical question. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We don't need to consult any priest, prophet, or teacher, or elder, deacon, evangelist, so on and so forth. Contrast that to the Old Testament. They had to go through priests. They had to go through the king system, if you will. Prophets, literal prophets. But here, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. Of course, nobody has, or nobody could or ever would do. But we right now have the mind of Christ. We got it. We don't need to go through the Urim and Thummim. We go straight to the Lord. We don't need to be connected with lights or perfections. Because Christ is the light of this world. And we are complete we are perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. So just a very brief footnote to today's message. And like I say, next week, Lord willing, we will return and go deeper into Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. This is week number 90. This is month number 20. And I am going to take a guess and suggest we've got six more months to go until we complete the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 28. Look at verse 7 again, please. It shall have the two shoulder pieces joined together at the two edges thereof, and so should it be joined together. First Corinthians six seventeen says he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So if you go back to the Old Testament, you think of the high priest, and here his shoulder piece, if you will, is referred to in the plural, Jew and Gentile, and I've said this many times over the years that for the Old Testament many times the Prophets were told to write A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, and they would do just that, only partly understanding what they were writing. Aaron is the high priest, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses is a type of God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ came to do the will of his Father, and here Aaron is very much in submission to Moses. Look at verse 30 again, please. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. An ongoing sacrifice, not just physical, but spiritual. Could you imagine being the high priest back in the Old Testament? You've got millions of Jews coming to you, and directly and indirectly, of course. And you're having to intercede for them. Urim or Urim, it can be pronounced both ways. Thumin or Thumin, this magical uh, contraction we're not told how it came into being it simply appeared 
and it was parts of the high priest's clothing. David uh, would consult with the Urim or Urim and a Thummin or Thummin, and he would get revelations from heaven. Look at verse 30, please. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, blue picturing heaven. Ephod is a item of clothing, of course. And one more time, go back to the Old Testament. The priests would dress a particular way. We don't know what Melchizedek would wear, but what we do know is from the New Testament how the Lord would criticize those that wore nice clothing in reference to the Pharisees would want to be seen in the synagogue, sitting on the right seats, sitting with the right type of people. For the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ dressed like everybody else. The apostles dressed like everybody else. The Pharisees, on the other hand, would like to dress up. Call me Reverend Father, call me Professor, call me Dr. So and so forth. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, in reference to the high priest, and I'll discuss that more this morning. Look at verse 32. And there shall be an hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof. It shall have the binding of woven work round about the whole of it, as it were the whole of an harbunkin, or harbagin, that it be not rent, that it be not torn. Now every part of the high priest's clothing was given for a purpose. First and foremost, if you were at the back of the crowd, if you will, back of the queue, you could see him, but he's not dressing up for the people. He's dressing up for the potentate of potentates. He's dressing up for Almighty God. And there shall be an hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof, in the middle thereof. It shall have the binding of woven work round about the whole of it, as it were the whole of a harbagin, or harbagin, that it be not rent, that it be not torn. So if you think of clothing, if you think of the Bible in general, uh, it could be the high priest's clothing, like I say, or the Lord's attire at the second advent. Uh, but here, you're thinking about the high priest, and this term, harbagin, is in reference to a coat of mail or armour to defend the neck and breast. Basically, it's a linen, and it can't be rent. And yet, Matthew 27 speaks about the temple being rent right in two when the Lord died on the cross, of course. Look at 33. And beneath upon the hem of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and a scarlet round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranates, a golden bell and a pomegranates upon the hem of the robe round about. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew uh, chapter 9 from memory. I was given a pomegranate a couple of weeks ago to taste. I'm told it's very high in vitamins C and K. It's a large fruit the size of an orange, normally reddish color. And it's found 17 times in the Old Testament with a song of Solomon, where it is found in chapter 7. And there it's in, it's in reference to Solomon and his bride. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Hem. Uh, the hem of it in reference to the border or the edge. Old Testament, the high priest, like I say, is a type of Christ. Uh, Moses is a type of God the Father. All of the greats from the Old Testament. I mean, all of the greats from the Old Testament are types of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Christians today are types of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not all be as illustrious, holy, sanctified, consecrated as we should, but we are nonetheless all types of the Lord Jesus Christ because he lives inside of us, of course. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, look at verse uh, 20, if you will. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him 
and touch the hem of his garments. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garments, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw, he said, Daughter, going back to Christ being Israel's everlasting father, Isaiah chapter 9, not God the Father, Be of good comfort, thy faith, the just should live by faith, hath made thee whole, here physically, but ultimately spiritually, and the woman, and the woman was made whole from that hour. Go back to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. Look at 33 again, please. And beneath upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, round about the hem, the edge thereof, and bells, and bells, and bells of gold between them, round about. And I sat down last night, and over the last several weeks, trying to think through Exodus. Uh, It's one thing to read the scripture, enjoy the scripture, but it's something completely different, entirely different, when it comes to preaching, teaching, trying to understand the scripture. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. So, like I say, a pomegranate is a fruit, and I should have uh, opened it up last night. I should have eaten it uh, in preparation for this morning's service, just to get an idea what it tastes like. I didn't, so I will do so uh, for next Sunday service and give you my thoughts. But it's interesting that a fruit is connected with the high priest's attire, garments. If you think of uh, Galatians 5, speaking about the fruit, of the spirits we walk in the spirit we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh we are to abstain from all appearances of evil and yet time after time we do the complete opposites O wretched man that i am that which i want to do i don't do and what i don't want to do i do it's a paradox of course but you've got a golden bell here connected with the high priest's attire keep your hand there and go to john chapter 10 and i can't find a clear cross reference for this bell uh, the Church of Rome are into their bells, mm. bells and spells, mm. bells and smells, and holy bells, as they refer to such. Uh, church bells ringing on a Sunday morning, doesn't bother me of course, but technically it's not a biblical doctrine, at least not for the New Testament. So I thought what could be a good cross-reference to this bell, a golden bell, gold picturing deity of course. And any verse that came to my mind was John chapter 10. Uh, John chapter 10, and it was verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. Adam, where art thou? My sheep hear my voice in the context, Israel. I have other sheep that are not yet of this fold. In reference to the Gentiles, going back to the high priest, having two shoulder pieces, bearing the sins of the people. Picturing the Messiah, bearing the sins of the people, Jew and Gentile. My sheep hear my voice, here in a spiritual sense. We don't hear the voice of the Lord in a physical sense. I've been saved 17, almost 18 years. I've never heard the Lord speak in a physical sense. I've never seen him, but I felt his presence. I felt his leading. I felt his love and comfort. My sheep hear my voice in a spiritual sense. And yet, go back to John chapter 10. It's in a physical sense. He's on the earth. He's preaching all of the time. 90% of his ministry was out in the open, incidentally. Only 10% of it was inside four walls. My sheep, believing Jews that appropriate the atonement, hear my voice and I know them. Matthew chapter 7 says, Many will come to me in that day. Many will come to me in that day, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done many wonderful works in thy name, cast out devils in thy name? And he says, I never knew, I never knew you. I never knew you. 
picturing he didn't know you, he never, he never knew you to begin with, never knew you to begin with, but here, he knows you, and I know them, intimacy, and they shall follow me, and I give unto them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Go back to the book of Exodus. So Abel was connected to the high priest. And the only way to really understand this, as far as I am aware, is to say this, that the bell was used to, on the one hand, notify people that the priest was about his business. And on top of that, this term is only found in the book of Exodus. Most of what we are looking at this morning and over the last Many weeks and many more weeks to come has no reference, no reference whatsoever to the New Testament. And here you've got, like I say in verse 33, pomegranates of blue, purple, scarlet, blue picturing heaven, purple picturing sacrifice, and scarlet picturing royalty. Sometimes they can be used interchangeably. Round about the hem thereof, the edge thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. To go beyond that is a bit of a stretch, and I don't know what else to do with that verse, but you've got bells, like I say, connected with, uh, connected with the high priest. 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, Aaron the high priest, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out that he die not. So if you think of a typical sinner, a typical sinner, in the UK especially, thinks he is a good person, or she thinks she is a good person. They are hoping for heaven. It's very rare to meet somebody who is hoping for hell, and they all think they're going to make it. It's rare to find someone who says they are a wretched soul, like Paul would from uh, Romans chapter 7. And the only way to cross-reference this would be to think of that account one more time from the Gospel of Matthew, where the man is invited to the banquet, and he's not clothed with the proper clothing, picturing imputation, of course. 36. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And be holy, for I am holy. So, let's look at it this way. God Almighty is holy, we know that. He is from everlasting to everlasting. It says over in Habakkuk how he cannot behold evil. He cannot look upon sin. Uh, every man in his best states is altogether vanity and there isn't a just man on the face of the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So God is holy, but we are not. And only yesterday, Patrick was in town, and he came across a lady that we haven't seen in maybe four or five years. Mm. And he saw her, she saw him, and basically he said to her, it's good to see you, such and such, how are you? And he could see she was standing in front of this addiction centre, mm. a clinic, a place where people who are addicted go for help. And he said to her, do you work here? Are you volunteering? And she said, no, I'm a patient. I am in need of their services. And of course, his mind was ticking away. And he thought, yes, I can remember now. You were a drug addict before you got saved. She was a heroin addict before she got saved. And I can remember her. And she went to several churches in our town. One was a Calvinist church. Another was a charismatic mm -hmm. church. And here she is, probably around 40-ish, we would suggest, was a drug addict before she got saved, was a prostitute before she got saved. She's now back on the drugs, heroin. Now, first of all, when you think about someone like that, you may say this, but is she saved? Is she saved? Well, she could be, we don't know. Just because she is on the drugs and is seeking counseling doesn't mean she isn't saved. It's like this. I can think of two groups of people. I can think of Christian men. I can think of street preachers. I can think of evangelists who 
are probably saved and they have tattoos all over their arms and they never cover up their tattoos. It's almost like a badge of honor. I can think of someone who is an unsaved man who had his tattoo surgically removed 15 years ago. Very painful, I'm told. Now ask yourself this. Why is that unsaved man having his tattoo surgically removed, a painful and expensive procedure, and yet these Christian brothers are not covering up their tattoos? What's going on? Why are those Christian men so proud to show off their tattoos? If I had tattoos, I wouldn't be showing them off. I'd be covering up. I can think of a story in the paper this week of a former British cabinet minister. He's lost two or three stone, maybe 45, 50 pounds. A lot of weight, shall we say. He was uh, diagnosed with diabetes. He has reversed it. He has lost a lot of weight. He looks a lot better, incidentally. An unsaved man. Contrast that to somebody who is saved but doesn't want to lose weight. Doesn't want to give up diabetes. You get, into, you get into the two natures of the believer. It gets very complicated. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold. You can't improve on gold. Engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet. Holiness. Holiness to the Lord. So you think of God Almighty. Like I say he is holy. We are not. There is a discrepancy. What can we do? How can a holy God be reconciled to unholy people? Christianity is the only faith which on the one hand gives you everything for nothing while on the other hand expecting you to give everything back in return and yet understanding that you can't give everything back in return. John 21 Jesus speaks to Peter Simon Peter do you love me? Yes Lord you know I love you feed my sheep. Peter do you love me? Yes Lord you know I love you take care of my sheep. Peter do you really love me? Yes Lord you know I love you take care of my lambs so on so forth. That is one of the most famous parts in the New Testament when it comes to love. You've got two Greek words being used there. One is the ultimate definition, agape. The other one is philio, philio, which is a lesser form of love. Jesus says to Simon Peter, do you really love me, agape? For God so loved the world, agape, that he gave his only begotten son. Simon, do you really love me like I love you? Who can say yes to that? I can't say yes to that. Peter says, Lord, I'm very fond of you. Lord, I think the world of you. Didn't use the same word. Because he couldn't. Holiness to the Lord. So we look at the Lord. He's holy. We are not. We look at Christian people. It could be this woman struggling to kick heroin. Struggling to kick tobacco. I haven't been in her shoes. So I don't want to judge her. Uh, it could be Christians who were alcoholics. Got saved. And are still struggling with the bottle. It could be Christians who are into gambling. Pornography. Tobacco. And are still struggling to kick those vices. I'll tell you something, I'd much rather sit down with a woman who's on drugs, struggling, or a man who's struggling with booze or tobacco or pornography or gambling. I'd much rather sit down with, with uh, one of those people and enjoy time with them than a pious, conceited Pharisee. Mm. A few days ago, I was on Twitter. I very rarely go onto Twitter. I check it every so often. And I came across a post that was uh, trending. That's what they call it, trending. 26,000 posts. And I thought, what is going on? And it was hashtag Catholic. And I clicked on the link. 26,000 people all over the world were posting comments in defense of Catholics, Catholicism. And it was to do with a school in Glasgow that was guilty of uh, sectarianism, like Northern Ireland back in the dark old days. And I thought, well, that uh, issue uh, isn't a problem for the UK, for England. When I was a Catholic growing up, I was always taught that Jews were good for heaven. Uh, Jews were good for heaven. Muslims were good for heaven. 
Most Protestants, I was told, were good for heaven. But of course, you go to parts of Scotland, Northern Ireland, it's a different ball game. And people going back and forth attacking this post. It was a British newspaper, actually, which had said that Catholic schools should be closed. Wouldn't dare say that about Islamic schools, would they? Or Jewish schools. And Islamic schools, uh, many in this country, also teach uh, a distinction between Islam and uh, British values. A lot of Jewish schools in this country, Orthodox Jewish schools, are very critical of Gentiles. But it's interesting to watch some of these posts, but I thought how conceited these Catholics were. Boasting in their religion, like the Pharisees would do to Jesus. We have only one father, Abraham. We weren't born in fornication. We're not slaves, so on and so forth. And he would say to them, but, but whoever, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin. Credible. And they're going back and forth, these Catholics, these Papists, boasting about their religion. I thought they are just as lost as those Pharisees in the New Testament. Who does this man think he is? We know his mother, we know his father, we know his brethren, so on and so forth. Look at verse 37. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre. Upon the forefronts of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. Keep your hand there. And go to Revelation chapter 14. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The main reason why so few people are ever going to be saved is because so few people want to abandon their own efforts to be saved. They are in love with their churches, their religions, going back to 26,000 papists posting comments about Roman Catholicism, not being guilty of sectarianism in Scotland and elsewhere. Uh, I would probably question that. They are very guilty of that in Northern Ireland, I can tell you. Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, look at verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. It's a reversal, it's a reversal to the mark of the beast, of course. Go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus 28, 38 again. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, high priest, that Aaron may bear has a responsibility, the iniquity of the holy things, tabernacle, instruments, those that would come, offer animals, so on and so forth, which the children of Israel, not the church, shall hallow in all their holy gifts, holy gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Keep your hand there, go to Revelation chapter 21. The Bible is a jigsaw, you should know that by now. The old always points to the new. The new always points back to the old. If you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know the New Testament. If you don't know the New Testament, you don't know the Old Testament. You cannot separate the two. Going back to, I have sheep that are not, that are, that are not yet of this fold. And the sheep of his fold, like I say, are Jew and Gentile. Revelation 21, Revelation 21, look at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Physically, literally, don't spiritualize this. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Look at verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the tabernacle, 
the tabernacle of God is with men, and he may dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Go back to the book of Exodus. So Aaron, high priest, like I say, dresses a particular way, is distinguished from people in a general sense, has to stand out from the people because he's a high priest representing the Messiah. Moses represents God the Father. New Testament, there is no similarities between teachers, deacons, elders, bishops, call them what you will. Jesus Christ dressed like everyone else in his day. And yet your average Catholic doesn't believe that. Your average Protestant does not believe that. Look at 39. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen. And thou shalt make the mitre of fine linen. And thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. And for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats. And thou shalt make them girdles and bonnets. Shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. Keep your hand there and go to First John chapter 2. The best we can do when it comes to trying to harmonize the old with the new concerning clothing priestly attire is to look at the christian's state not standing the christian's state first john chapter 2 first john chapter 2 look at verse 28 and now little children abide in him going back to john chapter 15 abide in me i'm the vine you are the branches Abide in me concerning your fellowship, your states. Abide in him. Walk with him. Love him. Put on the new man. Don't make provision for the sins of the flesh. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, rapture, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Picturing a carnal Christian, it could be Lot. He was very carnal. On one occasion, he saw a plot of land with his uh, uncle. And Abraham said... Do you want this? Do you want that? An old lot was very carnal, like a lot of papists. And they get caught up with the ritual of the mass. Like a lot of these Protestants who become Catholics, they get, they get caught up with the ritual of the mass. They fall in love with the incense, the bells and the smells. And they abandon Christ for Catholicism. One of the reasons why so many Protestants, incidentally, have gone over to the Church of Rome in the last 25 or 30 years is really quite simply down to the fact that Jesus Christ wasn't enough for them. He wasn't enough for them. They were raised in false apostate churches. They were enticed into Catholicism. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that there's another Jesus, there's another spirit, there's another gospel. And Paul says how you might well bear with those that present such a false gospel. And Catholics are very visual. They fall in love with what they see. And here, John is speaking about Christians. And he says that it's beneficial, it's compulsory, it is an absolute must not to be ashamed before him at his coming. Look at verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous. Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness. Is born of him. Well that's all very well to say that. But how many Christians do you know that. Are living a righteous life. Mm-hmm. That sister. Around 40. Ex prostitute. Ex drug addict. Is now back on the drugs. I've known Christians who struggle with. All sorts of vices. Most churches wouldn't want to associate. With such people. Two days ago, make that two weeks ago, a couple of American pastors killed themselves. I haven't heard of these guys, but one was leading a church of around four and a half thousand. And people were saying online, but was he saved? Do Christians commit suicide? Do God's people kill themselves? Well, Saul did. Samson did. People don't know their Bibles. People are very ignorant of the Bible. Go back to the book of Exodus. So the high priest and his sons, verse 40 
are going to wear girdles, bonnets, bonnets for the day are normally worn by women, and a bonnet today is basically a hat. Now for a Christian man in a church environment, or like today for Lord's Day service, if he was to wear a hat, it would look somewhat bizarre. And yet go back to the Middle Ages, Puritans wore hats in churches. George Fox would wear a hat on a typical Lord's Day service. Oliver Cromwell would wear a hat. Quakers. Quakers would wear a hat during a typical Lord's Day service. But outside of Quakerism, not so much now, but going back four or five hundred years, outside Puritanism, not so much today, but going back four or five hundred years, most of Christendom, when it came to men, wouldn't wear hats. It would look bizarre. 39 again, and thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the mitre of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. Picturing human involvement, physical hands, picturing are those of us which are saved being chosen for service. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, chosen in him unto good works. Use your hands, be busy for the Lord, so on and so forth. And for Aaron's sons, verse 40. Aaron's sons, here physical sons, today we are spiritual sons. Spiritual daughters of Almighty God, Jesus Christ as our elder brother in a spiritual sense, not a physical sense, you understand. And for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them, for glory and for beauty. And that's one of the reasons why Lucifer fell, because he was uh, the fifth cherub that covereth, and he basically fell in love with himself. I guess that is possible. People can love themselves more than the Lord. Look at verse 41. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them. And consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Go back to First John chapter 2, an anointing. People say this, have you received the second blessing? Since you got saved, do you speak in tongues? Do you have an anointing? Does the Holy Ghost speak to you? It's a question which is normally put to you by charismatics. First uh, John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Look at verse... I've got verse 17 here, but that's the wrong verse. Uh, I want 27. 227. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye should abide in him. So if you are a saved person, you don't need to be taught, first and foremost, to love the Lord, to put him first, to witness to other people. You know this to be so. If you are a Christian, you don't need to be taught it's wrong to lie, steal or cheat. I am convinced that woman that Patrick saw yesterday knows knows she is in the wrong. She's not happy that she's back on the drugs. She's lost a lot of weight, apparently. She's also hooked on uh, tobacco. She's a smoker. She's probably quite ashamed when she saw Patrick walking towards her. But she wasn't arrogant. She wasn't puffed up. She wasn't self-righteous. She was humble. She was humble. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants those that are humble. And I can relate to those people who are, uh, who are humble. I remember maybe a year ago in Manchester doing some outreach. A guy walked over to me. A guy called James. Probably 10 years younger than I am. And it was a fascinating conversation. And he said this to me. He said, uh, well, it's good to meet you. Uh, he was homeless, incidentally. He was an alcoholic, a drug addict. He was in a real poor state. Going back to standing in state. Uh, it's not the same, of course. 
And he said this to me. He said, I'm hungry. Can you take care of me? And I said, sure. And I went into a restaurant with him, got him some food. He was in a real bad state. He'd been beaten up the night beforehand. They tried to kill him. Uh, local thugs tried to burn him to death. I mean, horrific. This is Manchester, 2019. And uh, I got talking to him, made that 2018, excuse me. I got talking to this man called James, and it turned out he'd been a missionary. Been to Spain. Been to uh, Europe, the continent. Travelled all over Spain. Learned a bit of Spanish, I would imagine. And had been to Bible seminary. And here's, here's this guy sleeping on the streets of Manchester. Softly spoken. Didn't get any bad feeling, any bad vibes about him. Very softly spoken. And I thought, I can relate to someone like that. Not that I've ever, not that I've ever been homeless or a drug addict or an alcoholic or what have you, but I can relate to someone like that, basically. He's humble, you see, like this woman from yesterday. Go back to Exodus uh, 28. Uh, look at verse uh, 41 again, please. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them in a physical sense. If you think of David, he was physically anointed with holy oil. Oil, not holy oil, but it was oil. Uh, the Holy Ghost is a picture of oil. And here, Aaron, thy brother and his sons, will be anointed, consecrated, sanctify them, put them apart, that they may minister unto me, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And yet First John, chapter 2 again, John is making the case that those that are saved, those that are born again, from verse 27, the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, in reference to the Holy Ghost, of course, and his truth, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and yet he's not the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is not God the Father. And yet sometimes the Spirit, the Son, and the Father are used and appear so close in Scripture that if you're not careful, you can become a modalist and make a huge blunder. Truth is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, it hath taught you. The Holy Ghost is a person, it hath taught you. You should abide in him. So you have an anointing if you are saved, a spiritual anointing. You don't need to be taught anything. You know right from wrong. The law of the Lord is written on your hearts. You have a conscience. You have revelation. That's what uh, Romans chapter 2 is all about. Go back to Exodus. Look at verse 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins even unto the thighs shall they reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons. When they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation. Or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place. That they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. Yes, as long as Israel Israel would last, as long as Israel would walk with Jehovah. Of course, Jeremiah says they wouldn't walk with Jehovah. And Jeremiah makes the case very clearly that because they wouldn't walk with Jehovah, Almighty God cancelled the Old Testament. Divorced Israel. Found over in Hosea. Gave Israel a bill of divorcement. Sent the Messiah. Gave the Jews one more chance. They turned him down. And as of right now, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, they are cut off. Israel is cut off. Temporarily, of course. Israel is in the wilderness. But one more time, if you think of what goes on, or what took place in the Old Testament, physical tabernacle, physical high priest, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What Aaron was doing on the earth, back in, what, 1500 BC, was being 
duplicated in heaven. Third heaven. What the apostles were doing on the earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. What the Messiah was preaching on the earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. What Paul, Peter, James and John were doing, book of Acts, was being duplicated. Third heaven. You can't understand that. Tabernacle, Old Testament, was physical. Tabernacle in heaven was also being used or is cited in scripture to show something taking place in heaven. Go to Revelation 13. I'll show you one more uh, reference. Revelation chapter 13. Uh, Revelation chapter 13. Uh, Revelation 13. I haven't got the verse marked here. Uh, see if I can find it. Revelation uh, 13. Revelation uh, 13. Yeah, look at verse 6. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. And them that dwell in heaven, a tabernacle in heaven, a temple in heaven, spiritual, a spiritual, and yet perhaps physical. Right now, my body is a tabernacle of the Lord. My body is a temple of the Lord. Old Testament, it is physical. New Testament, it is spiritual. Go back to Exodus chapter 28, and we will, uh, we will aim to finish. 43, and they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons. When they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, the holy place, because God is holy, holiness to the Lord, that they bear not iniquity and die. They've got to prepare themselves to go into the holy of holies. Jesus Christ would prepare himself when he came the first time. Of course, he was sinless, you understand. But if you go back to the Old Testament, there was a, a level of preparation for the Messiah. Go back to Revelation Revelation 14, the high priest also would wear a crown, and I almost missed that uh, a few days ago, and I was reading through this, and I thought, high priest has a crown, Christ came the first time, they put a crown of thorns on his head, but at the second advent, uh, Revelation chapter 14, uh, look at verse 14, and I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Son of Man, picturing Israel. Son of God, picturing the church. Or, Son of Man, Kingdom of Heaven, Son of God, Kingdom of God. Son of Man, Israel, Son of God, the church. One more and I'll close. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 11 if you will. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So Christ is the ultimate high priest, like I say, Hebrews tells you that. Aaron was for the Jews back in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is for anyone who comes to him. He will receive you. He will save you, keep you saved. And uh, next week we will continue working through the book of Exodus and perhaps return one more time, briefly, to wrap up uh, chapter 28. But I think we've got enough for today, and we'll close it there and return next week and continue on from Exodus chapter 29.